Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, those of you listening around the world, everybody that is tuned in, greatly appreciate it. Welcome back to the Phenomenal Fan Podcast, episode 46. Beautiful Monday, beautiful podcast we have scheduled for us today. Okay, 46th episode, college football is just in shambles right now. Just shambles. No idea what's going on. The regular season is over. Conference championship games are over. The rankings are out. And everybody is entering the transfer portal. Everybody's going to the transfer portal. People are flying around left and right. Heisman finalists are announced. It's insane. So we'll talk all about college football season, situation, everything that's going on. We will talk about Major League Baseball free agency. There's been some huge contracts being dealt out. And, of course, we will talk NFL. And we'll make the distinction between Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes. Which one's better? Which one's worse? I guess we'll have to find out and see. Hopefully you guys enjoy this episode, episode 46 of the Phenomenal Fan Podcast, and let's get straight into it. The Phenomenal Fan Podcast. A podcast by the fan for the fan. do it all right we got one game left on the slate that we obviously will not be talking about but saints and bucks play tonight i need wants to stay alive in one of my fantasy leagues otherwise i'm screwed that ain't gonna happen everybody knows it um but we did have a really exciting week of nfl football really exciting week buffalo bills take on the patriots thursday night football sunday was jam-packed Ton of action, ton to talk about, and let's just go straight through the schedule. All right. Like I said, Bills beat the Pats 24 to 10 on Thursday night football, dominated. Baltimore Ravens beat the Broncos 10 to 9. Yikes. Steelers beat the Falcons 19 to 16. Okay. Steelers, they're 5 and 7. Are they hot? Are they not hot? I guess we'll find out. Packers beat the Bears 28 to 19. The Green Bay Packers are 5 and 8. Their season is not over yet. It's not over. All right? The Detroit Lions just piss-pounded the Jags, 40-14. to 14. Pounded them, 40-14. to 14. The Lions are 5-7. and seven. They're also not that bad. Jets-Vikings. Vikings take it at home, 27-22. The Giants and the Commanders tie at 20-20. Boo. Boo! Eagles destroy the Titans 35-10. The Browns and Deshaun Deshaun Watson's return to the NFL. They take down the Houston Texans 27-14. Deshaun Watson had a horrendous game. Horrendous game. But the Cleveland Browns special teams and defense scored three touchdowns, which subsequently gave them the win. Seahawks beat the Rams 27-23. 
close game there. Seahawks 7-5. and five. Keep an eye out. 49ers take down the Dolphins 33-17. We will touch on that game here in a minute because Jimmy G goes down for the San Francisco 49ers. And I'll tell you exactly why they're not doomed. Bengals beat the Chiefs 27-24, also on our list of games to talk about. Raiders take down the Chargers 27-20. Chargers, what is you doing? Cowboys absolutely hammer the Colts 54-19. You know, they scored 33. The Cowboys scored 33 points in that fourth quarter. Seemed a little bit excessive and unnecessary. They were just taking massive shots the entire game. Um but whatever, you know, I guess they want to score touchdowns uh, and point differential. I don't know. I don't know what they're doing exactly. But, uh, yeah, I can tell you that it's, I mean, whatever, you know, whatever. It's their, it's their choice. They can run it up. It's pro sports. I'm not, nobody seemed to be entirely super offensed, you know, uh, or offended by that. Now, we wanted to talk about the 49ers and the, and the uh, Dolphins. Okay, the Dolphins come into this game road underdogs. 49ers, like I said, beat them 33-17. to Tua looked okay. Hit Tyree Kill for 146 yards. No surprise there. But the 49ers just out-defensed and out-slugged them on the defensive side of the ball. Okay. 49ers lose Jimmy Garoppolo in the process. Breaks his foot. We'll have season-ending surgery. He's done for the year. Jimmy G, done for the year for the 49ers. Good news is a team like a team like the 49ers does not need even a legitimately successful quarterback. Nobody seems to understand or, or realize this in the NFL. Yes, winning with the quarterback is important if you have a good quarterback. If you have a really good quarterback, top five to seven, you'll win a lot in the NFL. No doubt, you'll win a lot. But if you're built like the 49ers, you don't even need a competent quarterback. You just need a guy who can execute a slant, a screen, and occasionally hit a wide-open receiver deep down the field. So my bold prediction, because this happened also over the weekend. Over the weekend, the Panthers released Baker Mayfield. If Baker Mayfield signs, if Baker Mayfield signs with the, I'm hesitating to say this because I don't know if it's true. I don't know if I, no, I believe it and I'll say it. If Baker Mayfield signs with the San Francisco 49ers, the 49ers will win the Super Bowl. Because the way the 49ers are designed and the way they're set up, with all the weapons on offense, an absolutely stacked, stellar, shutdown defense, all they need is a quarterback who can execute a slant pass, a screen pass, a touch pass, and occasionally hit a receiver on a decently tight throw over the middle. Baker can do all of those things. Baker Mayfield is Jimmy Garoppolo. They are the same guy. 
it's very rare that you have an opportunity like the 49ers do when you lose your starting quarterback to sign his twin in Baker Mayfield. Both of them, not super explosive, not very big, not don't have huge arms. Or I guess you could say don't, uh, don't throw absolute rockets, right? If Baker goes to San Francisco, they will win the Super Bowl. And they were going to win the Super Bowl before they lost Jimmy G if he just stayed healthy the whole year. That was my prediction. So mark my words, come February, if the 49ers sign Baker Mayfield, they will find themselves playing for a world championship. That's a fact. That's a fact. You can't tell me I'm wrong there. You just can't. The 49ers don't need a good quarterback. They just don't. They haven't had one. They have Christian McCaffrey, Debo, Ayuk, Kittle, Juszczyk. They literally scored 25-plus points without Jimmy G. After he got hurt. The 49ers win. The 49ers are 8-4. and four. The 49ers are leading the NFC West. And they need to sign Baker Mayfield. They need to. I don't know if they're going to, but they need to. Another big game that went down on Sunday. Bengals-Chiefs. Bengals take on the Chiefs head-to-head. Bengals take them down 27-24. Joe Burrow has solidified himself as the second-best quarterback in the National Football League. He's better than Tua. He's better than Josh Allen. He's better than Aaron Rodgers. These are all right now. He's better than Aaron Rodgers right now. He's better than Tom Brady. He's better than Herbert. He's better than He's better than anybody else besides Mahomes. That being said, he's also 3-0 against Patrick Mahomes in his career head-to-head. Now, head-to-head in the NFL, especially when you're comparing individual players, I mean, there's, what, 55 guys, 60 guys on every NFL team. So it's a team versus a team. It's not just quarterback versus quarterback. But it very well could turn out to be Bengals-Chiefs back in the AFC Championship game, Burrow against Mahomes. And the Chiefs are more than likely going to have a bunch of home games in the postseason. If Joe Burrow goes into Kansas City at any point in this upcoming postseason and beats Mahomes again and goes 4-0 against them in his first four games, we might be uh, we might be having a conversation about who the real quarterback king is of the league. I don't think Burrow's better than Mahomes yet. But... Burrow, Burrow just wins football games. All, all the while, by the way, his team just, like, they don't. The organization has not gotten him any help on the offensive line. He's got the weapons. He, he had no help on the offensive line. He's missing Jamar Chase for a good chunk of the season so far. 
and he just wins football games. And there's something to be said about that. There's something to be said. So, Joe Burrow is the second best quarterback in the NFL. He is. He's the second best quarterback. You can deny it all you want. And you know what? Even statistically speaking, this guy's better. This guy's worse. I'm not, I'm not buying it. Burrow's second in passing yards behind Patrick Mahomes. Burrow's second in touchdowns behind Patrick Mahomes. Burrow's fifth in quarterback rating, or I'm sorry, in passer rating. He's better than the rest of them, dude. He's the second best quarterback in the league. He is. He's the second best quarterback in the NFL. There's no other way to put it. You can sit there and say Josh Allen's better. You can sit there and say Herbert's better. Sit there and say Jalen Hurts is better. All you want, Tua, Brady, Rodgers. Joe Burrow's the second best quarterback in the league. It's just a fact. It's just an absolute fact. Now, all right, moving on. We're going to move on to college football here. College football has gone bananas. Actually, actually, we'll talk about that last, okay? Because Major League Baseball has been popping off in the free agent signings, Okay? Here's the good news. Money is being spent. Money is being spent heavy. Justin Verlander signs a two-year, $86 million contract with the New York Mets. Trey Turner signs an 11-year, $300 million contract with the Phillies. Until until Major League Baseball has a salary cap, the bottom of the barrel teams that are always spending the minimum will continue to do so until they're forced to spend more. Until the MLB creates a salary cap at the top and a salary floor at the bottom, the bottom of the barrel teams will continue to spend as minimum. The the bottom of the barrel teams will continue to spend 
the smallest amount that they possibly can to continue to operate. And that is that's also that's also going to continue when you have teams like Cleveland and Oakland who occasionally find themselves in the postseason picture despite paying their team one one hundredth of despite paying their team the same amount that the Mets pay one or two guys. Now, don't get me wrong also, it's great that these teams spend a ton of money. It's great that the Mets are dishing out 40 plus million a year for two different pitchers. It's great that the Phillies are spending a ton of money. If anything, these team owners and GMs should take a look at some of the other teams like the Padres, um, like uh, the Astros, like a lot of other teams who were always near the middle to bottom of the spending and then found themselves now towards the top because they've competed at a high level, drawn in more fans, generated more revenue, and now they can spend more and have a consistently higher profit margin. But Oakland, Cleveland, um, Pittsburgh, um, who else? Who else? Those teams at the bottom, they, they just won't, they won't spend. They just won't spend. Because baseball is a sport where if you don't spend a lot of money, you can still fluke kind of your way into the postseason. So, I love that the big money is being spent. These deals are absolutely massive. Absolutely massive. But you're starting to see a separation from the top teams and the bottom teams. And until there's a floor and a ceiling in place for the spending in Major League Baseball, that gap between the top and the bottom teams is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until you have a bunch of markets and a bunch of teams that have lost their fan bases and are not going to be able to compete consistently. And that's not good for the sport. I love the big contracts, though. Huge deals. But again, you only the only contracts or the only teams you see or hear about in these competitive you know, uh, bidding wars between these teams, the Mets, the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Phillies, the Dodgers, the Giants, right? Big, giant, huge payroll, big market teams. I don't know. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough to see. Who knows what's going to happen with those teams, right? Who knows either way? It's good to see huge contracts being dished out. And by the way, uh, Jeff Passan put out a tweet. Trey Turner signing with the Phillies takes the total spent by MLB teams so far this offseason to over $1 billion. And Aaron Judge, Carlos Correa, Xander Bogarts, Carlos Rodon, Dansby Swanson haven't even been signed yet. But, and then you look at those teams, right? You look at those players. Who are the teams that have been mixed into the conversation for Aaron Judge, Correa, Bogarts, etc.? The Giants, the Mets, the Dodgers, the Yankees, the Phillies, the Braves, right? Until there's a salary floor, teams like Tampa Bay, teams like Oakland, teams like uh, Pittsburgh, teams like Cleveland... 
They will continue to spend the lowest amount that they can possibly spend to continue operations. And find themselves in the postseason picture sometimes. Cleveland made the playoffs this year. Tampa Bay made the playoffs. Tampa Bay makes the playoffs almost every year. And they don't spend anything. They just call up dudes, use analytics, boom, they're in the postseason. And that's good for them, but it's not a sustainable practice to get into the postseason, especially when you're trying to compete with these teams that are literally spending six or seven times the amount that they are. Twenty twenty two MLB payrolls. Last season, last season, the Dodgers spent two hundred and seventy million dollars for their entire team. The Baltimore Orioles spent forty four. The Dodgers spent the Dodgers spent six times the amount to pay their entire team that the Baltimore Orioles did. Until there's a salary floor, that's never going to change. And what's going to happen, what's going to happen after that is those top five, top seven teams in the big markets of New York and L.A. and East Coast, San Francisco, they're all going to outspend everybody, and then there's going to be this giant gap, and it's going to be the same eight teams in the postseason every single year for the next decade and a half until they put a floor down. And that's not going to be good for the game. You're going to lose the fan bases in, in, you're going to lose the fan bases in Cleveland, in Tampa Bay, in uh, Oakland. Why does nobody go to games in Tampa Bay? Why does nobody go to games in Oakland? Because their stadiums are shit and they don't spend any money. If a team, if they set a salary floor in the Major League Baseball and the team doesn't spend up to that floor for two consecutive years, the owner of that team should be forced to sell it. And to bring in somebody else who's uber rich, who's always wanted to own a team, and who will invest in better facilities, better players, and more money. And then keep the fan bases of that region engaged and not mis and, and and fairly treated. If I was an Oakland A's fan, why would I go to any games? Why would I? I don't care. The stadium is is falling apart. It's a Triple A team on the field. Why would I go? Why would I go? And it's it's a snowball effect because the owner doesn't spend. Then the stadium shit. Then the, st- then the then the team is shit. Then the fans don't come. Then the owner's complaining. He doesn't have enough money. So then he spends less and doesn't improve the stadium and just holds and holds and holds. All the while, the market in Oakland or the market in Tampa Bay just gets weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker up and move the team. Or, I don't know, disband it or something. I don't know what you do, I guess. But now they're like, Tampa Bay, move them to Montreal. Oakland A's, move them to Vegas. No, how about you just sell the fucking team to a guy who actually cares about owning a baseball team? Then he'll invest more. He'll give more money. He'll get more. uh, He'll build a new stadium that's super nice. He'll get a better team on the field. Fans will show up. He'll make his money. Look at the Padres. 
had a horrible stadium sharing with the Chargers. They built a new stadium. They got a new owner. They got an ambitious GM. They drafted well. They developed well. They signed huge players to giant contracts. Trade for big players. Weird. They finished third in attendance last year in San Diego, a city that lost its football team because the owner for the Chargers said, uh, no one cares. Fairweather fan base. You know why is a Fairweather fan base owner of the Chargers? Because your stadium was dog shit and you didn't put any money into your team. And you're consistently losing to bottom tier teams. Even though if you put a decent product out on the field and you build a new stadium for the Chargers in San Diego, you build a new stadium and move out of the stadium that's been around since the 60s, hmm, I wonder what would have happened. Instead, they moved to L.A., they share a stadium with the Rams, and now neither team is doing very well. But it is what it is. So that's my rant on baseball, okay? Moving on to college football, man. Hmm. College football. What is going on? What is going on? I don't even understand what could be happening in college football that would justify what is actually happening. Let's just break down what's gone on so far. The college football playoff is out. Number one is Georgia. They win the SEC. They go undefeated. Deserve it. Number two is Michigan. They win the Big Ten. They go undefeated. They deserve it. TCU loses in the... Big 12 championship game to Kansas State in overtime. They don't move out of the standings, and they'd stayed at three. USC loses on Friday night, so they're gone because they dropped to 11-2. and two. Ohio State didn't play, stayed at 11-1, and one, gets bumped up to four. The college football playoff committee got the rankings absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. Absolutely. TCU deserves it. And Max Duggan, by the way, the quarterback for TCU, is just insane. Insane. Uh, but guess what? Now the season's over, right? So we got the bowl games. We got all the rankings, whatever. You got Michigan and TCU, and then you got Georgia and Ohio State playing against each other. Whoa. That was weird. I don't know what that was. Sorry about that, folks. Either way. College football season's over, right? That means the transfer portal, the transfer portal opens up. I'm here to tell you right now that the transfer portal in college football is so bad for the sport. It is beyond comprehension. Beyond comprehension. It's so bad for the sport. The transfer portal was initially designed for players who were really good 
show up and get recruited to a big-time school and get stuck behind another player who's also really good. Gives them an opportunity to go elsewhere and play at a high level and compete. What it has turned into is medium to some top-tier players and gives them the ability or at least the thought process of entitlement, that they don't need to work hard to gain a spot, earn a spot, stay as a starter. If they show up, they're a five-star recruit. Man, that's my spot. That's my spot. Nobody else can have it. Then they get at, then they get beat by somebody else for the job, and they just transfer. They just transfer. You look at a guy like Jalen Hurts, okay? Jalen Hurts wouldn't be half the talented quarterback and player and person that he is if the transfer portal existed when he was at Alabama. Instead, what he did, he showed up, he won the job, by the way, coming into his freshman year as a backup, win the job, goes through, wins SEC Offensive Player of the Year, comes back the next year, plays his tail off, gets replaced in the national championship game, shows up his junior year, is no longer the starter after leading his team to the national championship. And what does he do? Does he just transfer? Does he just go in the transfer portal and just, oh, I lost my job. I'm going somewhere else. No, he waits out the entire year, gets an opportunity to play in the SEC championship, wins the football game and the conference championship game for Alabama, does everything the right way, finishes school in three years, and then uses the rules in his favor and transfers somewhere else as a graduate transfer, goes to Oklahoma, leads his team to the college football playoff, and now he's drafted, or after that, he's drafted the NFL. He's one of the last quarterbacks taken in the draft. Shows up. He's not just the first string. He's like the third string guy for the Eagles. Hangs out for a year, hangs out for another year, injury here, injury there, boom, he gets his opportunity, runs away with it. Now, people are talking about him as a top five quarterback in the league for this season. Leading an uh, Eagles team, by the way, that has the best record in the NFL. The transfer portal is so bad for college football, okay? And I continue, I continue on, all right? This is an article written on uh, sportsillustrated.com under the Fan Nation and College Football HQ uh, segment of the website, basically. This is an article by James Parks. The numbers shows the numbers show the transfer portal is a very risky move for most college football players. Most fall. I'll read it again since apparently I just cannot speak properly. Numbers show the transfer portal is very risky for most college football players. The introduction of the NCAA transfer portal has forever changed how college football teams create their rosters and given players more freedom to direct their careers. But with that newfound freedom comes a lot of risk. According to the official NCAA numbers, entering the portal and trying your luck elsewhere is by no means a sure thing. In fact, Almost half of the players in the NCAA who enter the transfer portal don't find a new school to attend. 
this transfer portal thing has turned into, oh, I'm not getting everything I should. I'm not playing every day. It's given the players this false hope that they're just going to go in and go somewhere else and be the starter right away. The transfer portal in college football and in the NCAA in general has ta- completely taken away the incentive for hard work, development, and learning behind somebody who is potentially better than you, especially when you come in as a young 18-year-old fresh out of high school. These kids just show up now, don't play, and think, you know what, coach is screwing me over. I'm going to go elsewhere, and I'm going to be the starter, and I'm going to the NFL, or I'm going to the NBA. It's so it's it's bad. It's bad for the college football landscape. Then you see breaking news. Ohio State receiver and potential top 10 draft pick Jackson Smith and Jigba is declaring for the NFL draft and he won't play in the college football playoff game for Ohio State. What? What is going on? What has happened to college football? The transfer portal. Sitting out of not just bowl games, but national championship implication games. What happened? I can completely understand sitting out a bowl game that has no championship implications. Right? The Alamo Bowl. The Outback Bowl. I get it, right? You don't want to get hurt. Why would you play? Actually, why would you? Unless you're that proud or prideful of your school, right? And especially if you're eligible for the draft, like why Why would you play? I totally get it. Ohio State is in the college football playoff. Jackson Smith and Jigba is their best receiver. And he's just not, just not going to play because of the NFL. I get it. I understand where he's coming from. But I don't get it at the same time. I don't get it. It's a sign. uh, Let me just say this. Times and people and priorities are changing so drastically, especially in college football landscape. It's slowly starting to take away from the pureness of what college football used to be. Because times are changing, College football is not as pure as it used to be. Ohio State receiver Jackson Smith and Jigba, potential top 10 pick, is sitting out. Not just any bowl game, the college football playoff. He's just sitting out because he wants to go to the NFL. Players are making decisions on where they want to go to school based on almost entirely NIL and the money they're getting. They'll have two schools in front of them. One school is going to give them $700,000 a year, and another school is going to give them $710,000 a year. And they choose school number two because of that extra cash. In the meantime, school number two has a worse football program, a worse fan base, a worse track record, 
And school number one produces nothing but NFL talent and has an incredible atmosphere and incredible, uh, uh, it has an incredible, what's the word I'm looking for? It has a, uh, it has an incredible uh, chemistry. You know what, you guys know what I'm trying to say. Uh, it's got an incredible, I'm not going to move on until I find this word. Um, atmosphere, uh, culture. It's got an incredible culture, consistently produces NFL talent, but they choose the school that gives them the most money. Now we got guys sitting out of the college football playoff because they're waiting for the NFL. And we got the transfer portal where these kids sit there and don't get an opportunity to start right away as a freshman. Uh, get me out of here. Transfer. It's crazy. It's the same type of kids. It's the same type of culture that you see, that, that you start to see showing itself in professional sports. It's the same type of culture. Guys in the NBA are like, you know what? Just trade me. Get me out of here. Even though they have a contractual obligation with that team. NFL guys are like, you know what? Trade me. I don't want to play here anymore. Now, by no means do I think professional athletes who are making millions of dollars, and in some cases, college guys too, should be forced to hang around and stay at a place that is like toxic or doesn't suit them well at all or isn't committed to winning. But there's guys that are at huge big-time programs that had seriously big contributions but not starting contributions that are like, I'm out of here, I'm transferring. What? Why? Just wait your turn. Mac Jones didn't transfer. He played behind Jalen Hurts and then Tua. And then got the one year to show himself off. Look at this. He's in the NFL. Shocking. I'm just saying, man. College football is not as pure as it used to be. And it's turning into much more of a business than it has ever been. And I don't think that's good. And it's not. I don't think it's a good direction for the sport. I don't. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. Deion Sanders is going to Colorado or University of Colorado. That's huge news. I didn't want to talk about it uh, too much, but it is huge news. So good for them. Uh oh, and I did I did I did want to say this while we're talking about college football. All right. Talking about the the rankings, the committee, and everything else. All right. Here's, I'll give you this. Here's three things I would do to college football to, to, to drastically improve it as a sport. Number one, I'd expand the college football playoff from four. Luckily, that's coming, and we know that. It's going to include a lot more teams, a lot more fan bases, a lot more schools. It's going to be a lot more exciting. Number two... It's now the year almost it, it's almost 2023 and we still have middle-aged guys running around the field using their eyes to spot the football. Here's what you do. You put a microchip on the football, you keep a couple cameras on the on the you keep a couple cameras on the ball and the ball carry at all times and you synchronize it with the clock. 
You have a running clock, running timer inside the football, has a chip that tracks as soon as the knee, elbow, rear end, anything is down or the foot hits the out-of-bounds line. You mark that moment in time how far that microchip at the tip of the football was, and it'll tell you if they get a first down, a touchdown, etc. Because I'm so tired of watching replays and seeing these spots come out, and you're like, oh my god, what a horrible spot. Yeah, that just can't happen, especially with gigantic implications of games in the fourth quarter and things like that. So put a chip on the ball, use technology that's available to you, let's get it done. Number three, eliminate the college football playoff committee. Or at least limit their influence on who gets through, especially when you expand this playoff. You can't just have a bunch of old dudes sitting in a room and they're like, yeah, these guys looked a little better. Uh, I think I'll put them above them. No, there needs to be metrics in place. There needs to be strength of schedule. There needs to be quality wins, offensive and defensive efficiency, so that, especially when you expand it and you're going to have two and potentially three lost teams in the college football playoff, it's going to start getting really hairy about who's ranked where, who's going to make it, who's not going to make it. And instead of haggling and everyone freaking out, well, this team has two losses, but they're better. Now, just use the metrics, have the committee use the metrics, and that's how you decide who gets in the playoff. And that would drastically improve the college football landscape as a whole. So, with that being said, appreciate you guys tuning in to this episode of the Phenomenal Fan Podcast, episode 46. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Hopefully you guys agree. Maybe you don't. You know what? It is what it is. That's what we do here. We love to talk about sports and football and debate it, give our hot takes, and go from there. So hopefully you guys enjoyed episode 46 of the Phenomenal Fan Podcast. We will catch you guys potentially later this week for episode 47. But probably the next time we talk, there'll be a bunch more guys signed in free agency. I'm hoping, fingers crossed, because we still have a ton of guys. And it is what it is, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Greatly appreciate it. Um, yeah, we'll catch you guys in episode 47 of the Phenomenal Fan Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Phenomenal Fan Podcast. Want more? Follow us on social media and subscribe to Patreon for exclusive content.